Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today, I'd like to introduce Victor Shelton, NRCS State Agronomist and Grazing Specialist for Indiana. Today, Victor will be discussing using cover crops as forages. Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, Victor. Thank you, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So to get us started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I've worked for the agency for 34 years. I uh, grew up on a small farm in Southern Indiana that raised corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, grass and legume hay and registered cattle. I still raise registered sheep and I have a few beef cows and some grass-fed beef. I like to try and keep current in the latest uh, technology and I persistently experiment on myself, on my place to see uh, what works and what doesn't work. Um, I stay pretty involved in a lot of regional and national activities uh, and especially on the grazing scene. I, I spend a lot of time where I can be found working and providing technical assistance uh, on a lot of vegetative practices and especially grazing systems. I've had the opportunity to uh, spend some time in New Zealand and Australia and uh, Central America visiting, consulting, and staying on farms of grazing systems. And I stayed in connection with a lot of those people. I'm the author of the monthly newsletter, Grazing Bites, which is found published in numerous places and also write for a few other magazines. But I'm very interested in low input grazing systems and soil health. Fantastic. So let's go ahead and, and just dive right into our topic this morning. Um, from an economic perspective, how can grazing cover crops help livestock producers with their bottom line? Well, the, the ability to be able to graze annuals really helps to extend the grazing season. It helps to reduce inputs. That's a lot of it. You know, grazing livestock, feeding themselves is almost always cheaper than anything that you can carry to them. So if the livestock are grazing annuals, especially in the fall or late summer, then your perennial pastures are able to rest longer before they're being grazed again. So all this helps to extend the grazing season. Uh, it's all about economics. Okay. So what are some of the challenges that growers may grapple with whenever they are considering grazing cover crops? Well, I think the, one of the biggest issues is a lot of crop fields are not fenced anymore. Um, you go back 30, 40 years ago, there was a lot more fences uh, in the countryside than there is today. And so it comes real quickly to the question, do you have the infrastructure or are you willing to build it? Then livestock also need water. So water needs to be available at the field that you want to do this in. Now this can be accomplished by permanent or temporary pipelines or possibly hold, depending on the time of the year. And I'm talking differences in temperature, humidity, and even the forage that's being grazed, and the water content in it. Uh, and also whether that livestock is 
dry cows or growing or lactating animals, the water needs to go very a lot, but we still have to have water to them. And some years, like this year, we have a lot of areas that uh, have been lacking in moisture, so it can get challenging to get annuals up and growing. Um, you know, unfortunately, it does take rain. But uh, most of these things, we can we can figure out ways around and uh, make it work. Okay. So let's talk about what are some strategies that livestock producers can use to utilize cover crops to extend that grazing season? I think probably one of the bigger things is trying to create yourself a longer window to grow that annual. So if you can, planting a shorter season uh, row crop, whether it's corn or soybeans, uh, so you can get that cover crop planted earlier, or figuring out a way to plant that annual into a standing crop is going to gain you some extra growth and raise your opportunities for increasing that yield off of that annual and creating more feed to be available. Um, so in other words, the earlier that you plant that cover crop, more likely you're going to have a lot more to graze. And uh, again, whether you're uh, things that can cause an issue, especially the time of year when we plant most of these for fall use, is moisture. And so this year I saw big differences in cover crops, whether they were aerial seeded um, or drilled in. And the ones that were drilled this year because of we were, because of short shortage of moisture uh, did tend to do a little bit better um, than the ones that were just aerial seeded because they had a little bit better seed to soil contact. Okay, so what about a grower who wants to use crop rotations, and how does how can growers fit grazing? into that rotational system? Well, um, for a corn soybean rotation, a fall cover crop can work very well. Uh, just like I said, if you can get it either interseeded into that standing crop early or harvest your crop early enough. My favorite mix for that late summer or early fall combination is generally something of a mix of oats, turnips or radish, and cereal rye. The uh, oats and turnips grow real quickly, uh, as long as you got moisture, and they uh, create a very quick opportunity for some early grazing or even uh, a cutting of hay off of those oats. That rye lays in the background until the next spring, and if conditions are favorable, then it could be grazed then or just use as cover uh, and no till into. You, know, you also have the opportunity in a, in a rotation to, um, if, especially if you're in a corn bean right now, to include wheat in your rotation occasionally. And instead of going double crop beans after that wheat, if you're in the southern part of the state, 
grow a summer uh, grazing mix uh, after the wheat. And so that could be either grazed or, or hayed. And that could also be followed with another fall mix for some in additional forage opportunities. So there's lots of options. We'll probably talk about that some more in a minute. It sounds like there are a lot of options. That's great. Um, so in a rotational system or um, even if a, a traditional type system is used, what are some of those soil health benefits that grazing cover crops can provide? You know, grazing livestock are ruminant animals. They're able to uh, convert forages into um, energy uh, and use those. Their stomachs are essentially uh, fermentation vats. And so grazing livestock help to add or increase microbes into the system and help to turn that rough forage into even more usable nutrients faster. You know, grazing livestock basically help to feed the underground livestock is what I like to say. If, um, if we consider the soil health principles, you know, two of those are maximizing continuous root, living roots and maximizing biodiversity. Well, those two principles focus on feeding soil organisms and increasing the uh, mycorrhizal fungi and increasing organic matter in the soil. And the other two, maximizing soil cover and minimizing disturbance, protect the soil and soil life. And so they protect the soil from erosion and help maintain or increase the stable soil aggregates and organic matter, but more importantly, buffer against temperature and moisture changes. The grazing livestock when they're out there are just another tool to help accomplish a goal and to help you know, manage the system. But uh, they do help speed up the process and improve nutrient cycling. Now, livestock can be a form of disturbance, so it must be managed. But if it's done correctly, then uh, can certainly help the system rebound. And there's also benefits for the manure uh, that is distributed across the field. And if it's managed properly, it's going to get spread uh, quite evenly. And there's certainly uh, some good nitrogen benefits from the uh, urine from especially beef cattle. And that's very beneficial for the next crop and the cover crop that you're grazing will help capture and utilize that nitrogen so it doesn't leave the system. Okay. So you kind of alluded to this earlier, but let's talk about it a little more in depth. How does weather influence grazing cover crops? Well, it takes moisture to get cover crops up and growing. And it also takes enough to uh, produce a yield that's enough to graze. You know, this has been a, a dry summer and fall in a lot of areas. 
And those angels have really struggled a lot uh, to get the growth that we really wanted. I've got some cover crops and some annuals that were planted uh, almost six weeks ago that are about half the production that we normally would have just because of lack of, of moisture. Now, I've just been lucky to have just enough little tiny rains to keep them going. Uh, we're, we're getting rain now, but in some cases it may be a little late to really get the uh, the yield potential that, that we're, we would like to have. But um, when it comes to grazing those annuals, uh, it's always best to have drier ground. So if it, if it had grain, rain earlier, we'd probably be in a really nice situation right now or before these, before these fall rains hit uh, for some grazing opportunities. Um, if we happen to have a really wet period, then sometimes it's best to just wait until the ground is frozen to graze those annuals. So we don't, uh, we want to make sure we reduce any potential negative impacts, especially compaction. Now, in most cases, any possible compaction that might occur from the grazing events are typically minimized by the cover crop roots and also winter freezing and thawing. But uh, it's, all, it's all workable. And uh, we just need to watch soil conditions and figure out a game plan ahead of time. So time-wise, if a cover crop doesn't get as much moisture and as much growth, how can that affect the length of the grazing season? Well, unfortunately, it can have a major impact on it. You know, in uh, looking at, in particular, some annuals that I have, um, I may have had potentially, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that I, I probably have half the grazing opportunity now on those or grazing time frame that we normally have uh, just because of lack of sufficient growth this year and that was purely because of uh, lack of rainfall and and that happens um, I think that's one good reason the earlier that we can get these uh, annuals planted uh, in late summer and I generally tell people if you have the opportunity to do it in uh, mid to late August, go ahead and plant it. Uh, whether you're interseeding into a standing crop or you've maybe you've taken that uh, part of that corn crop off at, for corn silage, there's a, there's a grand opportunity right there to get that uh, cover crop or that annual planted early. So, the earlier you have it planted, the more opportunities you're going to have to capture any rain that you that may come. And then that's going to increase yield from that point on. Sure, sure. So if, a, for example, if a, a livestock producer maybe doesn't want to deal with grazing cover crops or on the, the other side of the coin, if there's a 
crop grower who does not have livestock, but still wants to maybe capitalize on some of the economic benefits of uh, making those cover crops available to livestock producers, what might be some, some options for those different types of producers? Well, I think it's a great opportunity for livestock producers to pair up with their neighboring cropland farmers. And, and it certainly could benefit both parties. I also think it's a especially good opportunity for new livestock producers who are perhaps short on pasture or acreage and uh, with some pl good planning and good management and maybe even perhaps uh, a bit of luck, they could probably be able to handle more livestock than their home base could normally handle by working with their neighbors who have cover crops that uh, they'd like to see some additional benefits out of. There are livestock producers, you know, right now that ship cattle south almost every winter to graze on annuals. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here to do that. Um, and there's no reason why we don't take that uh, opportunity more. I think that we'll eventually start seeing some more networks out there or things set up to help pair up livestock producers with landowners, crop producers that want to take a take their soil health management system to that next level, but don't want to own livestock themselves. And I know that's already happening in some areas, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that as people get more comfortable with cover crops and um, want to see how far they can take them. Okay, sounds great. So some livestock producers, particularly dairy producers, are concerned about making sure that their animals get high quality forage. How can growers make sure that those cover crops that maybe they're using for grazing or even harvesting and feeding those cover crops, uh, how can they make sure that the quality remains high? Well, that's actually not that difficult. You know, you usually start with a good mix or a monoculture that you know will meet the needs of the livestock that you're going to be grazing. Most uh, annuals are good quality feed to start with, especially when they are maintained in a more vegetative stage. You look at uh, something like uh, cereal rye or, or wheat or triticale, um, it starts out very vegetative and you're going to have extremely high quality of, of forage right there. But like any plant that once it starts to uh, mature, it's going to start picking up fiber and the uh, protein content and energy content is going to drop in that some. And so you want to plan your most of your grazing when that is still in the vegetative stages. Some things like turnips or other brassicas are really high in water and they're low in fiber. So they are best paired up with either a grass 
or you're going to need to supplement with a little hay or some fiber. You know, that, that forage has got to stay in the system long enough for them to absorb those nutrients. So if they're only grazing turnips, it's going to go through the system really too fast. They're not going to be able to maintain that mat on their rumen. <laughs> those are the animals I tell people, you don't want to stand too close behind. But uh, you can certainly uh, meet almost all your nutritional needs the most uh, raising livestock quite easily uh, with annuals. That's that's a blossom form. So um, it sounds like there's quite a bit of management that goes into grazing. You're you're not spending time feeding the cattle, but um, you're spending your time doing other management type tasks. What are some common issues or problems that you see? growers make or mistakes that they make whenever they're managing grazing cover crops? I think most people think they don't have time to manage livestock, but if they were in a lot, they would be doing something with them also, most likely, and or carrying feed to them. And so we have to kind of get our minds wrapped around. Uh, this is a different type of feeding system. Um, I think one of the first things I usually notice is some people want to allow basically what I call free grazing of the entire field instead of strip grazing it or allocating it out. You know, by providing a new allocation with temporary fence every day or so, you really increase the efficiency of the forage harvest and you have less loss from trampling or soiled forage. If you are just moving across a field with your grazing livestock, then it's pretty simple what you need for tools. You really need two sets of what I call temporary fence, which normally includes a, a reel, um, some poly wire to, to go on that reel, and enough step-in post uh, for the distance that you're covering. You need one set to basically keep them from moving forward ahead of time, keep them where you want them. And then you want another set so you can set it up for the next allocation. It's um, it's always best to set up that next allocation um, once you move the livestock. In other words, um, they're those, the, the cattle will be very unhappy with you if they have to wait the next day for you to build a fence. And so if you, when you first get there to move them, if you can just open up that fence line and let them move forward, then you can take that fence line down and move it forward to the next day. That way the livestock are not waiting and they stay content. And if they're content, uh, you're going to be content too. But uh, I think you'll, you'll find, most people find or learn pretty quickly about how much um, feed or, or how much acreage is needed for that allocation. That continues to change as the forage continues to grow and uh, conditions change. It's just uh, 
getting into your head that you're, this is a, a new way of feeding and take the time to relax and enjoy the walk across the field and being around the livestock and watching them graze. Okay. So the time that needs to elapse between when a paddock has been grazed and when it can be grazed again, what are some uh, markers that livestock producers or growers can look for to know that a field has had enough sufficient rest and is, is ready to be grazed again? Well, you, you don't always get a second grazing opportunity. Um, so that answer really is, it kind of, it depends. But in most cases, you don't want to remove the bottom three to four inches of growth on most cool season forages. And probably the, you want to leave at least six to eight inches of warm season forages. So they'll spring back and continue growing well. And so you want to make sure that you're leaving enough behind at the end of the grazing. Also that you're meeting your other goals and purposes as you plan to cover crop for. But to answer that original question, um, you usually want to at least have twice the desired residual amount prior to grazing it again or more if possible. We get in time frames, especially in spring growth, where the forage is growing extremely fast and it's trying to get into uh, more mature stages and it's real hard to stay ahead of it. And in that case, uh, you know, a lot of times you just want to you just keep grazing it as long as you got soil conditions out there and um, up to the time frame that you're ready to terminate it and uh, go back into your cropping system. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, the economics of grazing. Specifically, why is grazing a more economical choice than maybe harvesting forages and, and then feeding them to livestock? Well, I think that's pretty simple. You know, I tell people all the time, if a wheel is turning, you're spending money. You know, winter feed is one of the biggest inputs, in a, especially in a beef operation. And in most cases, the animals can harvest the forage and feed themselves a heck of a lot cheaper than anyone or anything that we could carry to them. I guess, um, think about it, that, uh, that beef animals, four-wheel drive and has a built-in harvester and manure spreader all in one. She's a lot more efficient about feeding herself than anything that we can carry to her. I think it's pretty, that, pretty much that simple. Okay. So we're running low on time today, but um, I wanted to know where, where can our listeners go for more information about grazing cover crops? I think uh, most people should certainly go to their 
local natural resources conservation service or soil and water conservation district office for uh, some good information for their um, for their county or for their more site specific um, area and certainly to the local extension offices uh, there's also a lot of good information online uh, just be a little careful to make sure that uh, what you're looking at actually would work uh, in the area that you live. Very good. Well, thanks, Victor, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you being a guest on our Cover Crop Strategies podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. For more information about all things Cover Crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.